Welcome to Deep Talk, the podcast for advanced English learners who are looking to explore something a little bit deeper. Welcome to episode 21 of Deep Talk. I'm Rhiannon, advanced English coach and host of this here podcast. I feel like January has been about eight weeks long so far. Do you feel like that? Christmas seems like a thousand years ago. Those of you who have been along for creative rides with me before will know that my creative process is normally to have a tiny seed of an idea, sit on it and keep it warm for weeks, months or years, and then to suddenly wake up one morning with it fully formed and ready to go. And that happened last week. Can't tell you anything about it yet because it's currently still all in note form all over my desk, but this project looks to be the biggest I have ever worked on and it's going to challenge and grow me in so many ways and hopefully, if I manage to pull it off, is going to be a phenomenal resource for you in your journey towards feeling great in English. I realise that's super cryptic and no use to you whatsoever, but it explains my kind of buzzy, flighty, oh my god, January has been eight weeks mood. I just can't seem to focus on anything for long because my brain is spitting out new ideas for this project every couple of minutes. Something you can get involved in right away is our Deep Talkers community. I finally got around to setting up the Patreon and that is there and ready for you right away. As I hope you know, I absolutely love putting together Deep Talk, approaching potential guests, helping them decide on a topic, researching for the episode, recording it, editing it, making little promo clips and marketing it, writing these intros. All of it is so much fun and it astounds me that this podcast has been played over 20,000 times since I launched it in March of last year. All of that said, it is pretty time consuming (laughs) and your financial support will be super appreciated as we move into the podcast's second year. The Deep Talker membership includes access to the Facebook group, where you'll get sneak peeks of the podcast topic and guest before the episode goes live, plus behind-the-scenes glimpses into the production of the podcast and a chance to recommend guests and topics for future episodes. I even have some secret plans to get Deep Talkers involved in the recording of some future episodes, although no promises there. The most exciting part of the group, in my opinion, though, is the monthly meetup. You can vote on the day and time which works best, and we'll get together for around an hour to talk about the topic of the most recent episode. Before Christmas, I met with Deep Talkers to talk about why fun is so important, based on Marisa's conversation in episode 18, and just this Monday past, I met with the amazing Laura, Max and Fanny to talk about part one of my conversation with Monica about heritage speakers. The Patreon is just £4 plus the rate of VAT set by your country, so it works out around £5 per month. I mean, if nothing else, a £5 hour-long discussion per month is a pretty good deal. I hope you make the decision to come and join us in Deep Talkers. Anyway, enough of that. So last episode, we left off with Monica talking about how heritage speakers are often misunderstood. If last week's discussion was more about the individual experiences of heritage speakers, this second part is all about the wider context in which heritage speakers' language is developed. Right at the beginning of this section, we discussed bilingual education, and as may or may not be evident, 
neither I nor Monica are particular experts on the topic. In fact, almost as soon as we said goodbye after this recording, Monica sent me an article which presents a very different view of Catalan bilingual education than she expresses in this conversation. I've linked that article below and decided to keep this bit of the conversation in anyway, since I think that the views that we share are still interesting and of value, even if we do get some of the details wrong. As always, I'd love to know what you think. If you're in Deep Talkers, pop a message on the Facebook page. Otherwise, send me an email. You'll find the link to both in the episode description. All right, I hope you're comfortable. Here is part two of my conversation with Monica on the topic of heritage speakers. It's frustrating because, I mean, I get more into it in like part two of the heritage speaker one, but like when we focus on it all being like an individual thing, then mm. we take the onus off of the things that actually do matter, like bilingual education. <laughs> yes. Things like that, that we know scientifically, like make a huge difference for heritage speakers and make it so that they are able to fully feel themselves and have these two languages. That's what really matters. And that's what in a lot of countries where a lot of these people who are commenting about things um a lot of the times the education system is different there and Mm -hmm. I always talk about how language is just a reflection it's a reflection of your circumstances like my dad speaks so many languages but he also grew up in Switzerland and Mm -hmm. (laughs) in his school system literally surrounded literally surrounded like in the home Swiss German and then later high German at school, so many years of French, so many years of Italian. And then he lived in the French speaking part for 10 years. Okay, his French got really good. Then he moved to the US, his English got really good. Like when you put it into that perspective, it becomes less like, wow, impressive and more just, yeah, your language adapted to your circumstances. Of course. Of course, like everyone's does, you know? And so it's like, Let's stop glorifying (laughs) these things that are like outside of our control, but at the same time, like realize what does impact people. Yeah. So like in the U.S., like bilingual education, it started in the U.S. in Miami at the school where my mom actually went. (laughs) It was like the first dual language school in the U.S. And it has like such a beautiful story and all this stuff. But today, there really isn't a lot of bilingual education, even Mm -hmm. in a city like Miami. And so I think, yeah, focusing on those things is so much Mm. more important than just like talking shit in a YouTube comment. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting what you say about bilingual education, because in the UK, I mean, it's not really a thing. Like it doesn't really exist. With the exception I mean, I know within walking distance is a Gaelic speaking primary school. So Gaelic being one of the Scots, the other Scots language, Scottish language, we have dialects as well. Um, But Gaelic being the other other official language of Scotland. But that's only a primary school. There's no high school. There used to be one. It closed a few years ago. I think they keep trying to reopen it and it never quite kind of gets off the ground. And within Wales, they have bilingual Welsh education. I've just said there are none in the UK because I was thinking of like Spanish, but actually we do have like local languages which are 
being kind of um, supported in that way. But another example we have is uh, of Spain, and I don't know it. I only know it second and third hand from people who've either been part of it or teachers who have been part of it. Um, but there's quite a lot of criticism towards at least the early iterations of bilingual education, which would be English-Spanish in Spain, I've heard, because a lot of the teachers simply don't have the level sufficient to be an effective language teacher within that environment. And it was something that was kind of pushed forward for political reasons. Spain isn't good enough at English according to its own measures. It needed to kind of get the next generation good quickly um, and has kind of thrown a load of money in it. And as you would expect in the kind of first few years, doesn't quite have the infrastructure to back it up yet. Although I'm sure that will continue to improve as new generations of teachers go into the schools and stuff. I'm not sure where I was going with that. I guess I think it's just really interesting that that particular aspect of it, but you're sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, no, it's a good point because so much of language is political and so much Mm -hmm. of it is outside of our control unless like we go into those spaces but like in Spain there's so many regional languages you know I know that in there's a lot of bilingual education with Catalan and Mm -hmm. Castellano and Spanish and that I know that there's like a lot of like strife and argument around that and even though there is it's a good example of like bilingual education (laughs) in a place where a large portion of the population has the two languages and they have it because of the bilingual education. You've just reminded me of a story of my my mother-in-law who um, lives and grew up in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland and in Aberdeen the local dialect is called Doric so obviously I mean everyone speaks English but Doric is like a kind of variation of and lots of people will kind of drop into like using Doric expressions and stuff like that and occasionally she says things and I'm just like looking around the table being like I have no idea what she just said I cannot get it from context haven't got a clue um but she remembers being um what would the, like beaten, I guess beaten sounds really strong, but like a ruler slapped on her wrist or whatever when answering a question in Doric. If you would answer a question in school in Doric, you would be punished and you were expected to speak English. And what that means is that Doric almost exclusively exists at a kind of fluency level in a kind of grandparents' generation. And then parents' generation sort of it exists in words and phrases and tidbits, but it's mainly English. And then by the time you get down to my partner, almost no Doric at all, although an understanding of it passively from grandparents and stuff. And that education there, plus obviously the punitive aspect of like, you must not speak this, had a huge impact on really just killing out within a generation or two, a whole dialect. Absolutely. And those um, stories are unfortunately quite common around the world and if I can just plug teacher K from diaspora English she did Mm. a conference and I just watched the video last night and it's about this it's about what hides under the term like native speaker for her she talks about how her ancestors a lot of the enslaved people that came they literally had their tongues cut off 
They were literally separated so that they couldn't speak to each other. They were mm-hmm. literally told to sil- to be silent their entire lifetime, to quiet their language so mm-hmm. that they would switch to English, which had all these associations connected to them. So I think it's something that's just important to highlight for students because there is this very pervasive view of like, English is the language of progress and language Mm -hmm. of which English has so many opportunities. It does. But if we go all the way back to the beginning and the statistics of like in the U.S., the U.S. is called a linguistic graveyard by a lot of linguists because, as they say, languages come to the U.S. to die. And it's exactly like that. (laughs) I know it really is. And it's exactly what you said. There's like a three generation rule or tendency, let's say, whereas by the time it's like grandchild to grandparent, they may understand it. They may know certain words, but Mm. they can't communicate in the language. And so those statistics of like 20% of speakers in the U.S. speak a language other than English is very much something you need to take as like a right now thing, because all languages, including Spanish and Miami, are dying in the U.S. Like cross-generationally, they're dying. The figures are just so high because immigration is so high. So we have a really high number of people coming to the U.S. bringing Spanish, but their children and descendants are every generation going to get closer and closer to being monolingual English speakers? And that's by design (laughs) of a system, you know? So it's things that are really important, I think, for students to keep in mind Mm. because I think there's this very, like, glorified (laughs) version of, like, English. And, oh, if you, like, reach this level, all of your, like, woes and everything go away. (laughs) But (laughs) it's like... What are you leaving behind? Something I was thinking about as well, because in your article, you uh, in your blog, you talk about what you've really just said, this kind of social pressure. And there's one thing you, one point you make about, um, you know, is the the second language, the heritage language, is it, ridiculed for example like in society is it made fun of on tv because a child is going to pick up on that and recognize okay maybe spanish in this example isn't desirable maybe i don't want to identify with my spanish side i want to be like cool and american and i don't want to sound spanish i don't want to kind of identify with that and i wondered and I'm, I mean, I'm asking you for statistics that may not exist and you almost certainly don't know them. But I wonder if that is different with heritage English speakers. So I'm thinking, for example, of my little baby niece. My brother-in-law lives in Korea. He has like a very basic command of Korean and his wife is <laughs> Korean. They're obviously going to speak English at home. There is no way he's going to have a relationship with his daughter unless they have it in English. So she is 100% going to be really, really good at English. I don't know about bilingual education. I don't know whether that's an option for them. But I expect what with all the opportunities that English provides, she is probably going to have a very, very high level of English and she's going to be highly motivated to get really good at English and use it and identify with it. I expect 
I don't know, maybe something cultural will happen in Korea in the next 10 years or so where suddenly America becomes demonized and nobody wants to speak English at all. I don't know. But assuming that that doesn't happen, one presumes that people hold on to their heritage English maybe stronger than heritage other languages? Question mark, question mark, I don't know. I, I don't know any research but like I can almost guarantee that yes <laughs> because like you said it's like it's crazy to think that kids have like this deep understanding of like sociopolitics but they do <laughs> they do which is the craziest part like I remember my neighbor when he was like three or four like his mom was like oh pollo. he was like Pollo, pollo. It's called chicken, chicken. And he was like oh mocking my her. Gosh. And it's like I, as a kid, mm-hmm. would tell my Colombian grandparents, like I don't speak Spanish, but to my Swiss grandparents, I would speak Swiss German. Oh <laughs> and wow! I'm not going to like read too into that, but because <laughs> that's like a whole other rabbit hole. But I don't think that that was like uh, a coincidence. at all like I think I very much like picked up on the messages around me that there's like a lot of value there's a lot of like wow you're from Switzerland oh you speak German like in a way (laughs) that it just wasn't there with Spanish Mm. in like my context of Miami and Mm -hmm. it's like stuff you see on tv all the time there's so many examples of like Spanish being ridiculed or people getting reprimanded in some way for having a Spanish accent or having Mm -hmm. fewer opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it's just pervasive. Like even my own mother, who sounds exactly like me, like we both sound like we're Mm -hmm. from Miami. She talks about all the time how like, oh, like my accent just like, isn't that good in English? (laughs) (laughs) And stuff like that. Yeah, (laughs) it's like so pervasive. And like people are always like making jokes about Miami English and stuff like that. So yeah. there are things that, of course, kids pick up on. Like, yeah. it's not a coincidence that, like, three-year-olds, um, like, if they're like, oh, let's be posh, they do a British accent, you know? <laughs> Where do yeah. these ideas come from? Why do the, all these kids have these same ideas? They're coming from somewhere, you yeah. know? One final thing I want to talk about, um, and I hope that you can talk about it um, just before we finish, because you mentioned TV there. Have you watched Jane the Virgin? I did like years ago. Oh my gosh, yeah. I have a thing where I like forget shows completely. I don't know why. But let's see. Let's see if I remember. For the listeners and also Monica, I will quickly reiterate what Jane the Virgin is about. So Jane the Virgin is set in Miami and it follows Jane Villanueva. And Jane Villanueva is a virgin because her grandmother like tells her when she's 14 that like, I can't remember what the line is, but she like crushes a flower and says like, once you lose it, you'll never get it back. Um, And that kind of freaks Jane out. Um, So she decides to save it for marriage, but she goes for like a little pap smear, like a health checkup and is accidentally artificially inseminated. The doctor who is a drunk gets the wrong room, artificially inseminates it. Her, so she becomes a pregnant virgin. And that's really the story. So it's to do with like her relationship. And then she breaks up with her boyfriend and gets with the father of the baby, who's like really rich, and he's Raphael. Anyway, it's great. But the bit of it that I want to focus on is her 
family. So her family are, her gran is from, or her abuela is from Venezuela. She's undocumented. She moved with her husband um, like years and years and years ago and they had a daughter and then that daughter had Jane. (laughs) That's how grandparents work. And the three (laughs) women live together in this house and they, it's just a, a really fun example and probably the the first example I've seen on TV of code switching happening all the time. So like the abuela says something in Spanish, Jane answers in English, then Jane answers in Spanish, then Jane answers in English again. And I mean, what I would be really interested to know, and it sounds like you're not going to be able to answer, is like how accurate you thought that portrayal of a kind of bilingual household was but I don't know how much is like coming back to you now that I've talked about it (laughs) it actually is really coming back to me (laughs) you said Raphael and I was like ah yes I remember him (laughs) and it's the blonde girl Petra Petra yes Petra Raphael it's coming hashtag team Michael Rogelio de la Vega who's the dad oh my goodness (laughs) yes 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 Uh, we are Um, re-watching this my partner and I at the moment which is why it's kind of top of my mind but we watched it I mean years and years ago but we're re-watching it now I know I'm going to start re-watching it now (laughs) um I I'll say first that I don't remember the specifics but I'll also say oh you said it takes place in Miami I I'll have to re-watch it but what I will say is from my own personal experience um Spanglish is like my dominant language (laughs) like a hundred percent it's hard for me like right now I'm like consciously being like be monolingual in English (laughs) because my Spanglish (laughs) just wants to come out you know but um there's a lot of societal pressure to not speak Spanglish and my mom to this day will be like like on a daily basis she'll be like I hate Spanglish (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like oh my god are we gonna have this talk again and in school like teachers would be like do not speak spanglish and stuff like that and with my grandmother my grandmother was a monolingual spanish speaker so mm-hmm. with her it was usually like monolingual mode but it's so funny because like she lived here for longer than she ever lived in Colombia, and so parts of english would get into her spanish but she wouldn't even realize it and so, so certain things, I'd be like, I como se llama sour cream in Spanish. And she'd be like, no sé, sour cream. <laughs> <laughs> sour cream. <laughs> <laughs> and stuff like that. And so, like, it's a lot of English with Spanish intonation. So, like, for example, yes. like, I vi algo en Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Stuff like that. and. It's not in any way like making fun of them. It's just, it's literally what is correct in that moment. Because if I say Facebook, she's going to be like, (laughs) but if I say, then she's like, I see, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so it's like also something for listeners to be aware of, like context really matters and language changes through contact. So most of your listeners are bilingual and they are Mm -hmm. shaping English, whether they notice it or not. And so a lot of my English is shaped by Spanish, but in the same way that like monolingual English speakers in Miami are shaped by Spanish (laughs) without even realizing it. 
So I think Spanglish, I'll have to rewatch it and let you know if Jane the Virgin is a good portrayal of it. The three generation rule is a little bit different in Miami. In Miami, it tends to last an extra generation. So right, Miami, just because there's so much Spanish in the environment. Exactly. So a lot of people are like me, where like I could communicate with my grandparents mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more common where like the grandparent is like monolingual Spanish and the mm -hmm. parent maybe is monolingual Spanish too, <laughs> or they're bilingual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. depending on who moved when <laughs> yeah of course. and then the child is going to be usually like more dominant in English as the mm -hmm. generations keep going but yeah Spanglish is great <laughs> Spanglish. <laughs> it's just fun it's funny it's creative it's so nice and I love for people to just have fun with language like realize yeah. when it's sometimes like I just say shit because it's like funny like it's just funnier in Spanglish <laughs> and like it's such a connection to have with someone speaking in Spanglish because like we just crack each other up there's so many inside <laughs> jokes and all of that stuff so it's like it's such a beautiful thing to be a heritage speaker to be surrounded by heritage speakers because yeah. it's like people who just get you it's yeah. like, oh, your Spanish isn't like top tier either. High five. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great. No, you just reminded me of when I, so my ex-girlfriend is Spanish and we very briefly lived together in Germany because she was living in Germany and I was like, yeah, why not? Sure. I'll move country <laughs> for a girl I've known for six months. This sounds sensible. It didn't work out, but hey, <laughs> we never learned. <laughs> you tried. And I remember, exactly, exactly. And I just remember one sentence where, like, I was learning German. She had been learning German for a while. Neither of us were particularly good at German. Her better than Same. I. Same. <laughs> and we had, up until that point, predominantly spoken in Spanish. Her English was fine, but she didn't enjoy speaking it. And we were living in Spain previously, so why would we have spoken English? And I just remember saying, like, ¿Qué quieres para frustic? And like, oh. what do you want for breakfast? But with this like change of language halfway through. And she just like responded. And then about 10 seconds later, we were like, that wasn't any language. That was, <laughs> that was a mixture. And it was just because it's just so lovely to be in an environment when you do speak multiple languages. It is great to be in an environment with other people who speak multiple languages because you get to, as you said, like have a bit of fun with it and play around with it. And throw things in and whatever I get like I think if there is a if there's one thing I would change about my current partner is that she's monolingual and I would love <laughs> I would love if she spoke another you language tell her. No, <laughs> <laughs> I would love if she spoke another language just because I think it's really fun like what you've just described is a huge part of my enjoyment of Spanish now now that I no longer live there now that there's not like a practical element to my Spanish it's just just like it's oh just this fun. is fun yeah yeah I know with my partner, he's Venezuelan, and we actually don't speak Spanish that much to each other, and like not even so much Spanglish, but like when it does come out, it's just so funny, and yeah, it's really interesting, like 
I don't know why with some people I speak a certain way and then with others mm-hmm. like I have some cousins where it's like Spanglish a hundred thousand percent of the time <laughs> and then other cousins where it's just like no it's like more Spanish even though we're both bilingual oh more English mm-hmm. so it is really interesting but even in those situations where we're operating in a more quote-unquote monolingual way like we're still able to yeah mm-hmm. like poke poke that little bit of fun into the language or talk about that Shakira song or like share the same music share the same comida like it's just it's so nice yeah yeah a heartwarming view of language (laughs) amen thank you Monica so much for taking part in this for sharing such a good blog post and I really recommend all listeners check out the others because they are all fascinating and interesting and a really nice balance of like easy to read and they feel really kind of conversational but backed up by science (laughs) you've got little bibliographies where we can go out and go like okay that's a real thing that she said shouldn't just make it up Uh, it's a really really fascinating blog so that's languaging obviously all of the links will be uh in the description um Before we go, is there anything else you want us to know about you? Thank you. So yeah, first, languaging. It'd be great to see you all there and in the comments and replying and all that stuff. Then also for Language Snaps in the new year, we're launching a writing membership that Mm. is designed for bilinguals. So there's a lot of like reading and like textual analysis, but you learn how to like analyze things using all the languages you know and how to plan writing with all the languages you know and it's totally asynchronous but you have a tutor me (laughs) and you'll be able to communicate with me with like texting and like there's uh like voice memos and stuff we can send back and forth but yeah we'll be good we'll be good (laughs) is that for any particular style of writing is that academic or So we have, it's like a monthly membership and then it like renews, but some weeks are more academic, some are more creative. It's, yeah, it's called writing, (laughs) but (laughs) it's so much more than writing, really. It's kind of like, yeah, a way to like explore your thoughts about language through writing, a way to explore information through writing in English and stuff like that I think it'll be cool I think it'll be cool (laughs) that sounds very very cool so yeah I will put the link to well your stuff if you have a link to that I'm happy to share that um if not I will send people your way in via the blog via Instagram all of that stuff Monica thank you so much for being a guest this has been absolutely fascinating thank you so much A quick update on Monica since our recording. Her business partner at Language Snaps got offered an amazing opportunity over the Christmas period and as a result is stepping back from Language Snaps, which has put a pause on that writing membership Monica was talking about there at the end. I recommend that you head over to Monica's Instagram to find out more about her new offers as and when she announces them. And I do again and always recommend her blog, Languaging, wholeheartedly. That's all from me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please tell your friends, leave a review, subscribe, all that stuff. 
I've been Rhiannon. This has been Deep Talk. Have a wonderful day.